3 John, verses 1 through 4. And I'll read, uh, the elder to the beloved Gaius, I believe, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your youth. As indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You may have your seat. Pastor Todd comes. Good morning. Welcome to Candyland. I don't know. Uh, well, first, I want to say thank you for your prayers and your thoughts last week as I was away. Uh, Brother uh, Jay, thanks for filling in for me uh, in the pulpit. It was a, a hard weekend uh, doing my friend's funeral, but I'm grateful for your prayers uh, that they were definitely felt uh, last week. But it's great to be back and to be with y'all this, this morning. And again, happy Father's Day uh, to all of us that are fathers. I'm grateful for that. And uh, I think this is the first Father's Day I haven't been with my kids ever. So I know, I'm like, it's kind of, forget Father's Day. I'll do it tomorrow or Wednesday when they get back. But happy Father's Day to, to all of you. We are here. We're going to conclude 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John uh, this morning. So, and then next week we'll start a new uh, series. I haven't quite landed yet where God's going to take us. Uh, things keep popping in my mind. But this morning we will cover this last uh, letter that John has written. So we will cover all of the verses. This is the shortest book in the New Testament. I'm going to cover it all uh, just for the sake of time this morning. I didn't want uh, Brother Jay to, to read all the verses, so but I'll cover them all. Let me give you some context of this book as it comes out of 2 John to 3 John. As you remember, in 2 John, John was writing to the church as a whole, so the collective he was writing to. Uh, this letter is written to one man within that church. Here's the context of the letter. If you remember, in 2 John, John was writing about false teachers. And he was saying to the church, hey, don't welcome in false teachers. Be very weary of false teachers. There's been many that have been in this congregation that have left and now are coming back with false teaching. And so now what John is going to say to Gaius, Gaius is a man in the church, he most likely is a, a, a deacon or an elder within that church. So he's got some level of authority within that local congregation. And so what John is going to say to Gaius is this. Hey, these are, now there are some other teachers that are coming back who aren't false teachers, but I want to commend you how you are uh, c being kind to them. And so that's kind of the, the context of the letter as we welcome in, this is really could be a, a, a missionary uh, message, if you will. How we, the body of believers, are to care for teachers and missionaries. And he says that in the text. He's like, hey, you've done a great job of supporting those who have gone out, even though you don't know them. You've done a really good job of supporting them so they can continue to take the gospel message to the lost world. But he's going to now bring another uh rebuke letter has three main characters that John is writing to. John is the elder statesman of the church as a whole. He's the oldest 
living apostle at the time. He's writing to this local church. But he uses three people to talk about what it means to walk in the faith. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at what does it look like for us to walk in the faith or walk in the truth as John says it here in the first text. Those three people are Gaius, Diotrophes, don't ask me if I'm saying the name right. I don't speak Greek fluently, but I, I listen on a line. You can hit, uh, you can go online and listen to it. I probably listened to this man's name 30 times. So I hope I got it right. Now I know I got the last one right. And Demetrius. So those are the three men that he's going to talk about and talk to. So the, the, the bookends are, this is what godly men and godly women in the church looks like. But then he brings this stark rebuke to the man in the middle. So the question that you have to ask, and that I have to ask, and we the church have to ask, who are we in this letter? Who are we? If we got honest with ourselves, who are we? Are we men and women who walk in the truth? Or are we like the middleman, Diotrophes, who knows the truth, but isn't walking in the truth? It's one thing to know the truth, but it's a different thing to actually walk and abide in the truth. So John is going to bring stark rebuke to the man and woman who knows the truth, but is, who is not walking in the truth. He's going to give us four things, what that looks like to know the truth and yet not to walk in the truth. That's kind of the meat of this sandwich. But I'm going to talk about the bread real fast. The bread of the sandwich is this is what it looks like for us to walk in the truth. Let's see what John has to say. He says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love what? In the truth. So John right out of the gates is saying, I have this love for you that comes from the truth. Well, who is the truth? We can go all the way back to what? First John. First John, he talks about who is the truth. The truth is who? Jesus. And so he's saying, I love you, Gaius, in this truth, and the truth is who Jesus is. You've got to ask, I've got to ask, do I first believe in the truth? Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy One, that lived a perfect, sinless life on my behalf to go to, to the cross for all of my sins and then by the power of God be raised from the dead. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that you're a sinner that needs to have the love of God displayed to you by Christ? John is saying, guys, I know that to be true of you. I know that you are a true believer this morning. Do you know that to be true of yourself this morning? Again, I'll say it all the time. If you don't hear anything else, the most important thing you can hear is about the gospel, the good news. The rest of this text doesn't matter. What matters is, do you believe in the truth? Because now John is going to say, if you believe in the truth, then you're going to walk in the truth. He goes on to say, Beloved, I pray that you all may go well with you, and that you will be of good health as it goes well with your soul. John is saying in that verse, verse 2, he's praying for good health, but he's not praying for good health for good health alone. He's praying that they stay healthy so that what? Their souls will continue to be healthy. Now you have to ask yourself, is your soul healthy this morning? 
Now he's going to tell us what it looks like to have a healthy soul. Or do you have a corrupt soul this morning? He says, I'm praying for good health, but I'm really praying that it goes well with your soul. He says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified about what? Your truth. So somewhere, John is writing this letter, but a people of God come from this small church and come find John, wherever John is at, and is like, hey, I got to tell you about this dude back at our church. I got to tell you about his faith in the Lord. I got to tell you about the truth that he's displaying in the Lord. He says they're testifying about your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, that when I hear my children are walking in the truth. He goes on to say this, beloved, it is, faithful, it is a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are, that he's talking that strangers are the men and women who have gone out from them or preaching boldly the gospel, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in, the, in a manner worthy of God. For they have all gone out for, for the sake of the name, that's Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, that means sinners. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be able to be fellow workers What in the truth. So three things that we see about Gaius that must be true for us. The first is this, are you walking in the truth this morning? Like, is this what you walk in? Do you do everything that you are? Remember what the psalmist says, your word is what? A lamp unto my feet. Which the psalmist is saying that this is the guidepost for all of my life. I just wonder how many of us aren't using God's word as the light unto our path. That therefore we're not walking in the truth because the word of God is not lighting our path, but the world is lighting our path. And then we wonder why we stumble around. Because we are not using and walking in the truth. The second thing is this. Not only must we walk in the truth, but he says it. You've got to pull it out of the text. You must what? Know the truth. In order to walk in the truth, you have to know the truth that you're walking in. Are you and am I? Do I know the word of God? Remember again what the psalmist says. I've what? Hidden your heart, your truth, in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. So I have to know the truth. I have to walk in the truth. But it's the word of God that must direct all of my action. And the last thing is this. Not only must I walk in the truth, not only must I know the truth, but we see in Gaius, he continues to grow in the truth. Like where you started off, what the Apostle Paul says, that you were once young infant babies, you needed spiritual milk. But at some point in your journey, some point in my journey, I got to get off the milk and go to the meat and potatoes. And I wonder how many of us are satisfied with milk. Milk is good with some cookies. But man, you can't beat steak and potatoes now, can you? And so many of us, we want to be stuck on the milk. 
And what John is saying to guys, he's commending him. He's saying, well done that you are off the milk and you are growing in the word of God. Where you are in your journey with the Lord ought not look the same when you first started your journey. Like if you were at 13 years old and you gave your life to Christ, you ought not still be a teenager. At some point, you must, I must, mature, grow in my faith. But where does it start? It starts with the first, I got to go back to who is Jesus? Because if that's not your starting point, it doesn't matter how much you know, how much you walk, or how much you grow. So you and I this morning have to ask this question, do I know Jesus? Am I walking in his truth? Do I know his truth? Am I growing in the truth? You want to walk, know, and grow in the truth? You ought to. You must abide in this. This is not just a simple, hey, this is a good way to live your life. This reveals all about who God is, and when it reveals who God is, it will reveal to you who you are. And who you are is a fallen, broken sinner that needs the redemptive work of Christ Jesus in your life. That be, ought to be everything that you read. Which will then drive us to a daily place of confession. Because if I know the truth, I walk in the truth, I grow in the truth, what's true about me is I'm a sinner that continues to sin against God who needs to come to a place of conviction and therefore confession. Confession is the ultimate way for you to grow in your knowledge of who God is. Because your confession leads you to dependency on who he is, not on who you are. So are you and I, are we walking and knowing and growing in the truth? And then John says this, because if those things are true about you, then there's going to be a result of that. We've talked about truth without love is no truth at all. So is your life, as you walk and know and grow in the truth, have this love for God and love for other people? That is what John says in those last few verses. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to what? Your love before the church. But where does that love come out of? walking, knowing, and growing in the truth. He says, even though they're strangers to you, the way you treated them testifies about your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. What he's saying is, when these strangers who are part of the church that you don't know, but they love God, they know God, and they want to proclaim God, go back out into the world, it is your your responsibility as the church to make sure that happens. Like it's our responsibility in this room to make sure that our missionaries around the world are supported to do the ongoing work to take the gospel message to people. Now, if if you can't get on a plane, then open your wallet to send that money to send God's word around the world. We are to support our missionaries. We are to support those men and women who preach and proclaim the word of God. He goes on to say this. 
for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. What he's saying is that it's not the sinner's responsibility. It's not an unbeliever's responsibility to make sure the gospel goes out. It's the responsibility of the believer. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. We may be fellow workers in the truth. You see what he says that? As we support those through prayer, through money, however we support them, we get to partner with them to take the gospel message. You can be a missionary from this pew. Meaning you can take your efforts and give it to the, our, our, the, 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 the missionaries that we support here. Like we support missionaries in, in Southeast Asia. We support missionaries down in Haiti. But we all can be missionaries from this pew if we're just going to be willing to love God, know God, and then support them. Like, uh, missionaries ought not to have to raise support. Because the church ought to be supplying all their needs. But that's on us. But where does it start? It does not start with our pocketbooks. It starts way back with what John said to guys. It starts with, do you know God? Because if you know God, then you're going to walk in God, you're going to grow in God, and then something will compel you to go do with all that to make sure that message of the gospel reaches the four corners of the world. So you may never leave Walter Hill, but the way that we support our missionaries can take the gospel message around the world. Will we start there, church? And now he brings this sharp rebuke to Diotrephes. He says this about this man. He says, I'm writing something to the church. But to Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, so if I come, I'll bring up what he is doing. I wish I'd be a, a fly on the wall in verse 10. My man, remember what John's nickname was? The son of thunder. My man is not happy in verse 10. He's about to bring it to that dude, and he is an old man about to bring it. You know when an old man brings it, you in trouble. Like you older men, when y'all bring it, it's like, uh-oh. Us young dudes are like, uh-oh, watch out. He's about to bring it because of what this man is doing to the church. And this is the man in the church. He says, I'm going to bring it, bring up what he's doing. Talking wicked nonsense among us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stop those who want and puts them out of the church. Four things that we see, if we're not growing in our relationship with God, will happen to us. Those four things are this, we see it in this man. Now again, you've got to remember, this man is inside the church. This man has some level of authority in the church. And yet, he's not walking or growing or knowing the truth. And that is the rebuke that John is bringing. Now John is going to say, and this is how you know if you're not walking in the truth. These four things will be consistent in your life. So now ask yourself this question. Are these four things true in your life? The first one is this. Look what he says. Diotrephes, who isn't walking in the truth, what does he do? He puts himself first. He was a selfish man. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This is what he was not doing. Everything was about this man in the church. He made sure that when he walked in the room, he was going to be the man in charge. You ever been around people like that? They just walk in your room and you're like, oh no, here he comes. The, the selfishness was just pouring out of him. So the first question to you in your life and in my life and the life of this church, are you a man or a woman of selfishness? Is it about you? Because if it's about you, it ain't about him. God has made that promise to us. God has said, I, I will not contend against another. And if you want to be first, try it. So many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, there's some place of selfishness in us. That's the first place. The second one is maybe even more scary. It's a place of pride. He says this, he puts himself first and does not what? Acknowledge our authority. He's like, I don't need it. I don't need another man's authority. I am the ultimate authority. Not only am I selfish, it's all about me, but now I have the authority to make it all about me. You ever been around that kind of person? They are a drank. And that is what John is rebuking. Don't be selfish and don't be prideful. So do you and do I, is there any amount of pride in our lives? If you have pride, you have a massive ego, and if you have ego, the, the, the acronym for ego is this, easing God out. So if you think you're in charge, you have no need for God, you will ease God right out of your life, which says you don't really believe what you say you believe. You're not really walking in the truth. You're, you're not really knowing the truth, and you're not growing in the truth. Because the more you grow in the truth, the less ego you're going to have. You come encounter with God on a daily basis, you're going to recognize you're not God, it's going to squash your ego. So if you have an ego the size of this room, I guarantee you you're not walking with the Lord. So are you selfish? Are you prideful? And then I wish John would have just stopped talking. Just, dude, man, come on. And then he says this. So if I come, I'll bring it up, what he's doing. And this is what he's doing. This is what I'm going to have to address. He's talking wicked nonsense against us. You know what that means? He's a gossip. Now, ouch, ouch. We're all guilty of gossip, if we're honest. And it comes through the lens of prayer requests. Just saying. But that is the other part. Are you and am I in a place that I'm gossiping about people? You see, gossip can be the truth. But gossip for gossip's sake isn't about the truth. It's about winning. It's about getting ahead. It's about being better than. That is what... Uh, Diotrophes is doing. He's saying and making light of who John is and dogging John's character in order for him to look better than what he really is. Are you and am I in this church, are we guilty of gossip? Gossip is one of those mask sins. Hard to detect, but know we're full of it. 
And then the last one is this. Not only are you selfish, not only are you prideful, not only are you a gossip, but then he says this. He says, he's not content with that. He's not even content with being selfish or prideful or gossip. He's got to take it one step further. He refuses to welcome those brothers that come back to support with truth. So he's not going to welcome them back. And he also stops those who want to welcome them back and puts those people out of the church. So he's not welcoming the people that take the gospel out. He won't welcome them in. And then he's saying, if you welcome them to those people and you support them, then I'm going to get rid of you in the church. So the last thing that John is addressing is this. Are you and am I, do we abuse the power that's been given to us by God? This was an abusive man in the church. And he was abusing his power, kicking people out of the church who ought not to be kicked out of the church. Now, I'm not saying there ought not to be church discipline, but this is not talking about church discipline. This is talking about a man's ego and pride. That he wanted to be seen and known, and he didn't want anyone in his congregation to take that from him. I don't know if you've ever sat under a teaching or been under some preacher like that. It is terrifying. But that is what our church in America, you just open up the newspaper. You see more and more stories of men that are in the pulpit abusing their authority in the pulpit. This pulpit ought to be a place of encouragement, not a place of power. Like I, I don't want any power over you. I want discernment. I, I do want God's word to bring correction and rebuke, but I also want God's word to do what it says, to bring encouragement. All those must happen. But if I use this place, this pulpit, as a place of power, that is spiritual abuse. And that is what this man is doing to his congregation. And John, the, the elder statesman, the, the oldest living apostle, says, you ought not to be selfish. You ought to not to be prideful. You ought not to be a gossip. And you ought not to abuse your power. As a pastor and the deacons, we're never meant to have power for power's sake to rule over you. We've been given that authority to lead and guide you, but not to, uh, not to use it to abuse you. And if you feel abused, then you need to confront me. You need to confront the deacons. Now, if you're corrected, that's not abuse. It's called discipline. God does that to those he loves. And God's given us that authority to bring correction to the body, but not in, a, not in an abusive way, in a loving, kind way gentle, caring way. And that is what this man was not doing. Therefore, he was not walking or knowing or growing in the truth. Because every time you see Jesus confront someone, he does it how? Out of love. Remember what he said to the young rich ruler. He could have blasted that young kid. I mean, just blasted him. He had the authority to do it. But he had, and it said, he felt deep compassion when the young man turned and walked away. He didn't use his authority to say, hey, you're screwing up. He revealed it to him. 
but he didn't abuse his power in it, nor should we. Nor should we with one another. And now he's going to go to Demetrius. He's going to bookend it. Remember, the bookend is this. This is what it looks like to walk in the truth. He bookends it by saying this. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Therefore, he's saying, that man that's above you that I just talked about, that's an evil man. Do not imitate him. And now he's going to say, this is who I want you to imitate. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is what? God. And now he gives us an example of Demetrius. Demetrius is this example, he says in verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. We must walk in the truth. We must know the truth. We must grow in the truth. We must have our results of that love. But this is the last thing. Is this. You and I must have a good testimony with everyone. What does that mean? That means that whoever Demetrius was, he was the same wherever he went. He had strict integrity. One of my mentors says this, who he was at 1 p.m. was the same man who he was at 1 a.m. You could not find a flaw in him no matter where he was. He had a good testimony. So for you and for I and for this church, as we walk in the truth, as we know the truth, as we grow in the truth, would we have a good testimony to everyone, both inside the church and outside the church? What does your testimony say? Because what your testimony says about you reveals who you are, which will reveal who you know and how you grow in your relationship with God. So what is true about us, church? If John were to write us a letter, who would you be in the letter? Would you be Gaius and Demetrius? Or would you be Diotrephes? And we have to say this. There's part of us that has to come to a place of confession. Because we all have those characteristics in us. We have selfishness, we have pride, we gossip, and we do use and abuse our power. But we have to come to a place of confession on that. So we don't continue to become that person more and more and more so that we can become the men and women that God calls us to be. But where does it start? It starts with how John started it. I pray that it may go well with you and that you may be good in health as it goes well with your soul because I have rejoiced greatly with the brothers and came to testify about your truth as indeed you are what? Walking in the truth. Church, are we walking in the truth this morning? Let us come to a place of great conviction that would lead us to repentance that would lead us to walking and knowing and growing, becoming more like Christ every moment of every day. Let me pray for us.